Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 89. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest, except for this week. Today, we have a special episode for you. It's a What Should I Read Next First, our very first mailbag episode. We invited our newsletter subscribers to ask Anne anything, and then we put out the call on our Instagram account at What Should I Read Next, and you all rose to the challenge. Today, one of our What Should I Read Next producers, Brenna Frederick, is joining me to sift through the mailbag. She's been collecting all your questions, and I haven't seen them yet, except for a few I read on Instagram before Brenna told me to quit it. She pitched me your questions cold, and I did the best I could to answer questions about what I'm reading these days, how we put podcast episodes together, how we choose guests for the show, and what you should say if you really want to be on it, and more. This episode is not without book recommendations, of course. I give a few on the fly. You can tell me later how you think I did. We had a ton of fun going through the mail, and I hope you enjoyed listening. Let's get to it. Brenna, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. Happy to be back. You and I talk all the time, but you haven't been on air because podcasting is kind of like on air, right? Sure, sure. Sure. We'll go with it. Since episode 62. It's been so long. I actually haven't heard your voice since then. Really? Yeah, we're always talking online. The magic of or scariness of the internet. Before we move on to our very first mailbag Ask In Anything episode... Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is you do for What Should I Read Next and have been doing for over a year now. Can you believe that? That's right. We're coming up on a year. I think I think I first, I started on, I think the 27th of July last year. I do a bunch of little bits and bobs behind the scenes so that you can focus on the creative side of the show. Um, I do a lot of emailing. I do a lot of chatting with guests. I compile those book lists with all those links and just do a lot of a lot of technical stuff behind the scenes making it happen you do have a great voice for podcasting and i'm excited to have you back on the the itunes show or whatever you want to call it (laughs) well thank you i'm excited because we have a lot of questions and i don't think you've read hardly any of them (laughs) no i didn't peek i did hit forward on a few emails that people sent straight to me we asked our guests i don't think we ever announced it right on the podcast but what we did is we asked on the what should i read next instagram we are at what should i read next there and then we asked our newsletter subscribers to share their questions for our very first mailbag episode and it sounds like we can't get to all of them but darn it we are going to try to get through a bunch of them oh and if you don't get that newsletter that's at what should i read next podcast.com slash newsletter because this is not the first and won't be the last time that we put together a special episode with input from those newsletter subscribers so brenna if you're ready i will hand the metaphorical mic over to you and you can start bombarding me with what you've got Uh, We did. We got so many questions, really great questions. It was extremely hard to decide between them. Everything from uh, like people wanting insider information about the behind the scenes of the podcast, Um, lots of personal questions about your life, Anne. Um, And we got some recommendation requests, which 
I think are going to be really fun to get to. So if you were if you were thinking there wouldn't be any book titles in this episode, that's absolutely not the case. We're going to give you some recommendations. <laughs> I guess I'm not shocked. I am a little scared now, but I'm ready to get started. Let's start with some insider questions, some behind the scenes. Um, we got loads of questions, people asking very detailed questions about um, how the show gets put together. So one particular listener, Gretchen, had gave us a laundry list, and um, it was a very helpful list. So thank you, Gretchen. How much does Anne come into the interview with potential suggestions in mind? Um, and how often does that list change due to the conversation taking another turn? Oh, wow. Okay. So if you are a guest on What Should I Read Next, we ask you to tell me in advance three books you love and one book you hate or that's not for you or that wasn't to your taste, however you want to put that. Listeners usually tell me at least three books they love, although sometimes I'll get two or sometimes I'll get an email that says it's so hard to pick about half the time they're willing to commit in advance. They can think of a book that they didn't love. I think that's harder for people to come up with lots of people or it seems like lots of series readers could think of 50 different favorites on 50 different days, but not 50, 50 different books that weren't for them. So that's what I have to go on in advance. I also ask them what they're reading now or the book they just finished when we talk on the podcast. And more often than not, no, no matter what they've told me in advance, more often than not, those answers change when we get started. So many times I'll have a rough idea of the general section of the bookstore or the library we're operating in. And I'll, I try to have specific titles in mind going in, but it goes off script. Probably. I don't think I've ever recommended three books that I knew in advance that were going to be right for that guest. And I'd say 80% of the time we are, we're just making it up. We being me. <laughs> that was another question I got a lot of was, does the interview take place in two different parts or two different days or how long does it take Anne to pull together your list of books? Now that is a good idea. I think we've been doing it wrong <laughs> for 88 episodes. But the results are there and the results are there. It does happen in real time. But I will tell you that this isn't, it's a podcast. It's not the radio. You're not hearing it live. It does get edited. So it is nice to work with that safety net for sure. Uh, another question. Have you ever struck out three for three with a reader? Ooh, do you mean, have I ever been unsatisfied with what I've recommended or have I heard back? Have I ever heard a guest say, you know what? I hate all these. I definitely know I've struck out. Sometimes that's the guest will come back and be like, you know what? I hated that. And I think sometimes I've made a bad recommendation or sometimes I think the person has said, you know what? I want to read more genre X and they'll come back and be like, you know what? I tried it. And I don't want to read any more of that. <laughs> um, and there have been a couple of times where I've recommended a book to a guest. And afterwards, I've thought, that was kind of a stretch. I'll be interested to hear what they think. But now that I have the benefit of more than 15 minutes going by, that feels like kind of a stretch. Uh, another question we got se several times was what your advice is on making an application to be on the show. Yes. And I love this question because we do talk to you know, I think our listeners call them regular readers, meaning they're not famous. They don't work in the industry, but I do want to say while we're talking about this, that I don't think anybody sounds like a quote 
regular reader on the podcast. That's absolutely true. Yes. We will run three people in a row who we've just picked submissions that we get in our inbox because there's a form you can fill out. It's at what should I read next podcast.com slash guest. And the guests will emphatically describe themselves as regular readers. And then we'll get emails that say, why don't you have any regular readers on the show? And I think it's because everybody sounds amazing on a podcast talking about something they love. So I think Brenna, we're at well over half, I think of regular readers. Does that sound right to you? Yes, it absolutely does. Yeah. Just everyday people. Yeah. Who, I mean, who love, who are passionate about reading and we love that. Uh, my best advice is to choose interesting books. Of course, we're looking for a good story, not just between the pages, but also on the podcast. But one of our goals is to feature a wide variety of readers and genres. And, you know, people are diverse in many ways, but we want their books to be diverse too. So we would love to hear an interesting take on a book that's been on the show already, or even better books that have never been on the show. If someone writes in and says like, oh, I know Anne gushed about, uh, it could be Crossing to Safety, Javer Crow. You know, I know Anne gushed about those, but I hate them. And this is why, like that will definitely get my attention. As will them loving a book that I have mentioned maybe is not to my taste. So yeah, choose, choose your books with care. That really is the part that we're looking at the most. I don't think I've ever read through a guest form and be like, oh, that would be a yawner. Like everybody sounds like <laughs> they would be fascinating to talk to. And like, I wish this were a five times a day show because then we could talk to everybody. But I think that would kill us, Brenna. It would. It would. I'd, I'm sorry, everyone, but I don't have the time in my day for that. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have the time to listen to it. I don't. It, it would be a joy, but no. <laughs> but I still wish we could talk to everybody. Yeah. I think that um, many listeners and applicants assume that you're wanting to hear uh, taste similar to what we always hear on the show or, or uh, genres that you hear a lot of. But that's not the case. Like what's I, I receive many of the submissions in my inbox and what gets me to forward them to you excitedly is usually I've never heard this title at all on this episode. This would be amazing. So if you think something in your taste is a little would would diversify the show, that would be fascinating and amazing. Yes. Whenever someone writes and says, my friends always tell me I like the weird stuff. We'll go ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Uh, this next question is from Aaron. How long were you blogging before you turned it into your career? And when did you decide you wanted to make your blog something more? Oh, wow. Um, I started my blog and she's talking about modern Mrs. Darcy at modern Mrs. Darcy.com in, well, the first post went live in February, 2011. And I don't know, maybe two or three years in. I mean, from the very beginning, I knew that this was a viable profession. Sounds so silly, but, but something that people were actually doing as their full-time job. And I thought that was interesting, but I didn't really understand how it worked. And after a couple of years, I realized, oh, I, I mean, I'm not doing it, but I can see how this works now. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very much a learn on the job kind of thing for you, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, next question is from Donna. 
Uh, I know you already do a lot between the website, book club, podcast, writing, etc. But I'm wondering if you've considered having your own YouTube channel since it's so popular. Maybe just a couple minutes a week of sharing a few things you're loving, like books, clothes, food, whatever. Nope. I haven't considered that. I think that would be so much fun. And I could probably go right now and look up some YouTubers and get all excited and make a plan. But that list of the things I was doing right now made me a little tired. So <laughs> it's not in the plan right now. Uh, the next question is from Instagram. Let's see if I can do the username justice. I think it's Jane Ann Mar. It could also be Janine Mar, roughly. How big is Modern Mrs. Darcy and how many of us are there out there and how many members are on your team? Oh, wow. Well, that's a hard question to answer when you're talking about a digital space. I mean, it's always in flux, isn't it? It's always in flux. And I can see stats like we have Google Analytics installed and we don't actually look at it very often, but we could um, just in terms of page views, which vary wildly depending on all manner of things and what people are Googling. Page views are over a million a month, but it that, again, varies wildly. And on my team, we have, does my husband count? who does tasks for me before he goes to his job in the morning and Brenna. And then we have a wonderful audio producer who makes it actually sound good. And to no three more people who help make the magic happen behind the scenes that, that we're on Instagram. We hosted the party, the what should I read next party at our house. You can go back and see some of our team together in person, which is always lots of fun. Yeah. I'll just wipe away a little tear. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, no, nobody's full time, but ev everybody I just mentioned does play an important role. And I'm so grateful to have such a great team, people who are fun to work with and who really love books. All right. That is it for the behind the scenes questions. Oh, that wasn't too scary. It wasn't. I could answer them all. Yeah. So Brenna, that's it for the insider questions. What comes next? We had some recommendation requests come in. So you ready to recommend some books? I am right after we take a quick break. Okay, Brenna, I'm ready if you are. I'm ready. I was born ready. <laughs> to, uh, to talk about books? Yes. Yes. Fantastic. All right, let's make some dreams come true. Our first request is from Kim. Kim says, I recently read I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes. This is not the type of book that I would normally ever pick up. A fellow book club member recommended the title and explained a little bit of the plot, and I was intrigued. So I ran to the local bookstore and bought a copy. I loved this book. Since this was so far outside my reading genre, can you recommend any books to read next that would be similar? I think about this book all the time because of a certain plot point when I uh, see movies or encounter security that requires something like a retina scan or a thumbprint. It makes me think of I Am Pilgrim. A particularly creepy part of I Am Pilgrim, actually. So this is a doorstop of a book. I think it's at least 700 pages and maybe a lot more. And you follow a couple different individuals. Actually, it's more like five or six. They're bad guys. They're good guys. You follow them around the world as a really scary plot to destroy humanity is put together and will hopefully be thwarted at the last minute. Dum, dum, dum. So I can see what she's saying because this is a unique book. And I can see a lot of people who don't usually like spy thrillers liking this. I'm thinking about 112263, which I believe we talked about on the podcast, maybe in like episode one, a long, long time ago, because it's another 
big fat novel that has a lot going on. It all comes together. It's all important. Um, it's Stephen King, but it's not, it's creepy, but it's not scary. This is not a horror novel. And if it was, I would not have been able to read it and would not be able to recommend it. But it's a time travel meets presidential history meets love and romance meets politics. And what happens here is King's protagonist is, his name might be Jake. Have you read this, Brenna? I watched the Hulu adaptation. <laughs> oh, I was so excited about that, but I never watched it. Oh, was it any I good? I thought it was pretty good. I have not read the book, um, so I can't speak to it as an adaptation. But I thought um, as a series, it was really intriguing. I enjoyed it. So there's a high school English teacher in Maine. I want to say his name is Jake. Is that right? Surely they didn't change it for Hulu. Okay. So our high school, our unnamed high school English teacher figures out he can step through a wormhole and go back in time to several years before the Kennedy assassination. So he takes on this big assignment with the help of a buddy mentor to go back in time and undo this event that he believes changed American history and world history for the worse. So that's the plot, which sounds a little crazy, but lots of people come away from it saying the same thing you said about I Am Pilgrim, which is, this is unlike anything I've ever read, but I really liked it. It's a big old mashup, seems like, plot-wise and genre-wise. There's something for everyone, maybe. And you know, if she really liked I Am Pilgrim, I'm wondering if she would like a book that I didn't like, but I'm in the minority on, and that is The Passage by Justin Cronin which is, you know, it's, there's a virus that turns you into, is it a vampire? Brenna, have you read this one? Nope. Never even heard of it. Okay. Well, I read this while I had the flu. Do not combine Justin Cronin with a high fever. That is not a good situation, especially <laughs> if you're not the sort who would ever pick up a legit Stephen King horror novel. Do it, do a little Googling. So Justin Cronin, the passage, there is an epidemic sweeping North America and bad stuff is happening. And here's something really fun about the passage. <laughs> yeah. I just said, I just said there's an epidemic and bad stuff is happening and I'm encouraging her to read it based on that. How does that sound? This was actually a guest favorite. I think Lee Kramer picked this as one of her favorite books in a very early episode. And she got, she got lots of amens from other listeners on this. Um, it is a really great sweeping imaginative novel. And I just reread Station Eleven for the second time, which I really enjoyed. But the first time I read it, I completely missed the reference to the novel, The Passage, like halfway through the book, which I picked up the second time and thought was a lot of fun. So if Emily St. John Mandel is referencing it in one of her award-winning contemporary, maybe modern classics. Great it, endorsement. It, exactly. All right. That's what I've got. I'd be interested to hear what she thinks. Great. All right. The next request is from Barbara. Barbara says, a friend is battling breast cancer and right now in chemo treatments. She is an avid reader and a fan of literary fiction. However, she would like to avoid books with traumatic events and terminal illness. She loved A Man Called Uva and The One in a Million Boy and A Gentleman in Moscow. Recommendations? Okay, but all those books have seriously traumatic events. <laughs> That's in the past, Anne. We're talking about the future. Okay. That does, that does give me a little <laughs> bit of an example of her taste. You know what this makes me think of? No. Is a book, is a book with a traumatic event. 
but it's in the past. It's One True Loves by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which if you've seen the Tom Hanks movie, Cast Away, it's like that. Woman's husband dies, disappears off the coast of some adventurous place. Two years later, she finds out he's alive. This is all on the jacket. This is, I'm not giving away anything, but he comes back before she gets married to her second husband. So she has to figure out what to do. But here's why it puts me in mind of this story, which your friend might actually like, is in the book, the heroine, I think her name might be Emma, or it might be completely off base. But when her husband dies, she moves back home to her parents' house. She's been living far away, traveling the world for her cool job and after he dies, she just wants to go home. So she goes home and her parents run a bookstore. So they bring her stacks of books to read because she's trying to get herself together again. And they think that reading is a good way to do it. But she picks up a book and she reads it and the husband dies. So there's this scene in the book where her book loving parents are reading stacks and stacks of novels, making sure they are safe for their grieving daughter to read. And I just thought that was the sweetest. And your friend might really, isn't that wonderful? That's really nice. I love that. So the traumatic things happen, or the traumatic things there, it happens before the novel begins. And then she has a tough decision to make. I am wondering about, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to make recommendations like this because if you are, if you as a reader are not in a tender place about a specific kind of incident, you might not notice as you're reading because it won't make a huge impression on you. Not like you don't see that it's happening, but you might not remember that a minor character dies or that they have a really bad fight or something. When you think about what you felt about the book, if it wasn't key to your being at the time you were reading. And that's the challenge of making a recommendation like that. So Barbara's friend likes the one in a million boy, a gentleman in Moscow, and a man called Uva. Is this right? Yes. Okay. Which are all literary or literary-ish books where something dramatic happens. I'm wondering, okay, if Barbara's friend wants to go in a totally different direction, I'm thinking of Sarah Addison Allen, who writes contemporary, very Southern, magical realism kind of books. And there's always just one element of magical realism in the books, like in Garden Spells, her first, and you could totally start there. There's Apple Tree that throws apples at people, though I don't really remember why. And then one of the Waverly sisters in the book, the Waverly sisters have powers, and one of them can like, knows exactly what to put in a cake that will make your husband jealous when he eats it or knows like what kind of hors d'oeuvres to serve that will make you nostalgic for an old love. And then in one book where one woman's unique magic is that whatever book she really needs in her life right at that moment will mysteriously appear like on her nightstand or on her desk at work or in her purse whenever she needs it. So those people have... Those are mostly relational books, domestic books. So there are problems, but nothing traumatic or violent happens to the people in them. And that touch of magic might just be enough out of worldliness to be a real pleasant escape. That That's reminding me of one of my favorite books of all time. What's that? Uh, Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. You know, I started to read that 
a couple of years ago, maybe after I went through my Sarah Addison Allen binge and I ran out of those books to read and had to find something else. And yeah, it was a little darker. It is. It, it is a little darker. I don't remember if anything truly traumatic happens in it. I know there's there's a couple of men who die, but the story is very much about the women and sisterhood. And I really, I, I really enjoyed it. But I like a darker story. Sometimes I do too. But that may just not have been what I was looking for at a time. So I have still not finished that. Okay, Barbara's friend. It's really hard to do literary fiction without trauma. I definitely want to say Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls, especially if you liked A Gentleman in Moscow. This one is his first novel, well, his first published novel. He says the reason it's any good is he spent seven years writing a different novel that is still in a drawer and deserves to be there. But it's not trauma-free, but there's one incident and I think it'll be fine. It happens real early. I don't think it's on the jacket, though. Brenna, can you think of anything? Anything literary or literary-ish? I have been scrolling. I've been scrolling my Goodreads this whole time. And I don't read anything that's, that would be safe for Barbara's friend. Um, nothing that's literary fiction anyway. I mean, I can think of some good books. I'm tempted to recommend books like The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry or Major Pettigrew's Last Stand that are similar feel-good kind of novels like to The One in a Million Boy, but sad things happen. Not tons of sad things, but sad things definitely happen. You know, I do have one more. I'm going to go to my fallback for this category whenever anybody needs just a good story, a fallback novel, especially if that person is a woman. Miss Pettigrew Lives Her a Day, Winifred Watson. It's been around for over 60 years to the test of time um, written like they wrote books 60 years ago, but totally has staying power. It's light. It's fun. It's not the kind of thing I'd hand to my 12 year old comfortably, but it's safe for Barbara's friend and likely to bolster her spirits. That sounds wonderful. I, I'm okay. I have half a recommendation. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit outside of literary fiction, um, but it's The Terrible Thing That Happened to Barnaby Brockett by John Boyne. Have you read that? No, but I have read some John Boyne, but I've never heard of that book. And therefore, I was surprised to have heard of the well-regarded author. It is charming. Charming. Um, and I know the title doesn't sound like what she needs. Uh, the Terrible Thing That Happened to Barnaby Brockett. But um, the the way... John Boyne writes, I mean, he wrote The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, and um, it, which is, is a strangely safe feeling reading experience with a really just horrible plot. And that writing uh, sense that he has to, to make you sort of feel safe continues through the entire book for Barnaby Brockett. Um, it's about a little boy who, when he is born, he floats and nobody knows why. And his family is a little bit terrible to him. Um, and one day he floats away and he goes on an adventure and he meets a bunch of different kinds of people and he, he sort of he meets up with a lot of other people who are misfits like him and learns quite a bit about how how it's okay to be how who you are and also how other people handle tough situations in their life um, and how they come together and chosen family and what real human support is um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very sweet book and it's very funny um, and it's well-written. 
All right. That sounds promising. It's comforting. I found it comforting personally. All right. Our last recommendation request is from Kelly. And Kelly says, my husband and twin seven-year-old girls and I are heading to England this summer. No shortage of good literature set there. I'm curious if you know of any good authors I could shop for that are difficult to find this side of the pond. Enid Blyton is one I'm excited to see on shelves of British bookstores. Do you know of others? The first one that springs to mind is Edith Nesbitt, who you will see in the United States, Five Children in It. And I wonder how much of that is to the influence of J.K. Rowling, because she's gone on record many times as saying that was one of her favorite books as a child and a big inspiration for Harry Potter. And so I'm not surprised for that reason to see it on the little Penguin Classics sliders in my local bookstore. And she also wrote The Railway Children, which you may see over here. But she wrote over 60 books. And you cannot get all 60 of them in the United States. So if you do want a classic British author who is highly praised, she would be a good one to look for while you are in England. And goodness, ask the booksellers while you're there. And also check some of your favorite American books while you're there, because sometimes they have way better covers in the UK. I'd love to see the different covers. Bookish souvenirs are the best souvenirs, right? Absolutely. Okay, next up is the lightning round right after this break. All right, Anne, are you ready for the lightning round? I am if you are. Lightning round may be slightly overselling it. Um, but these are short, short, short questions. They don't require a ton of answer from you. And um, I want you to think as little as possible while answering them. <laughs> All right. Our first two questions are from Sarah. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, a country music singer. Really? Yeah, I totally did. <laughs> I want to dig more into that, but we don't have time. <laughs> That's uh, a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your dream guest for what should I read next? You're going to think I'm making this up, but we really don't have such a thing. I mean, because of the nature of the show, like we want to talk to everybody and we actually... No, we actually we get wonderful requests from authors wanting to be on the show and I so wish we could have them on but it's not always that kind of show which means that like landing a big guest or what would be a big guest on a different show doesn't really matter to us I don't know I just love to talk to people who love books yeah it's like we were saying earlier it's normal nor quote unquote normal readers that being said if like LeVar Burton or Louise Penny wanted to come talk about their books, I'd be JK Rowling, you know, I'd be totally fine with that. I will die if LeVar Burton came on the show. <laughs> we got a couple comments and requests from listeners. No, how about suggestions that said, have you ever thought about having LeVar Burton on your show? You should totally do that. And every day we have this thought. <laughs> every day we have this thought. Every day we have this thought. Okay, so that's my non-answer for that. My not very lightning answer. The rest of these questions are from Instagram. Uh, first from user Jane Anmar. Uh, do you think you will write fiction at some point in your career? I'd love to try. I don't know that I have a fiction brain. Okay. Uh, from Kelly M. Seitz. If you could only read one genre for the rest of your life, what would it be? I would be doing it wrong if I only read one genre for the rest of my life. If I could only read one, I think I'd probably want to read older, older literary fiction, maybe. Because if I, if I put it like that, can it encompass like Jane Austen and Wendell Berry? Mm -hmm. 
Sure, sure. We'll, we'll give it to you. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad you're deciding what I get to read for the rest of my life. Yeah, in your mystical desert island where only one genre exists. Next question is from Summer Roller. How many hours a day do you read? Oh, yesterday, like 20 minutes. The week before that, when I was on vacation at the beach, it was probably like four hours. One to two is probably average. So would you say like a normal reader then? <laughs> um, how much do normal readers read? <laughs> no. Regular, regular readers. Regular readers, regular. Normal probably sounds better though. Uh, the next question is from Instagram user what the hill. Uh, I loved the episode with your daughter. Can you do episodes with your other kids? If they volunteer. That's a good answer. We don't force anyone to be on the show. <laughs> we, do, we do not force anyone to be on the show. That is the truth. All right. From Catalina's 12. Please tell me something you're not good at or something you hire out. The yard work. Not about that raking life. If my husband or teenager don't get it done, somebody else does, and it is not me. All right. We have a bunch of questions now about your personal life, Anne, because they don't often get to hear about that on the show. They mostly hear about your reading life. So are you ready to get into, into some IRL? <laughs> yes, I am ready. All right. Our first question is from Keely and does have to do with reading. Keely says, I've heard you mention and write about being a highly sensitive person. And as one myself, I was wondering how that affects the books you read. And more specifically, if there's anything you do to get through a really good book that may be a little triggering. That's a good question. And I don't have a perfect answer to it. I am careful about what I read, although I don't think I'm I don't shelter myself as a reader. So a good friend told me Blood Meridian was the best book he ever read. And I went, hmm, you know, I find that really intriguing. But I did a little reading about it and went, you know what? This is probably not the book for me. I may give it a try, though. And if on page 17, it's clear that it's not the book for me, I can be okay with that. Um, it's not, I don't have as hard a time with sensitive content now. And when I say that, I just mean what what I personally find to be hard to read because it's different for every HSP um, as I did when I was younger. I don't know if that's because I don't have like pregnancy hormones anymore like I did for so many years or if just I'm older or maybe I've just gotten to know myself better so I can tell a little bit better in advance what, what will work for me and what won't. But I think just over time I've learned, like I don't even think about it anymore. I've just learned to think, will that be the right book for me or is that too much and I'm willing to give things a try but I'm also pretty quick to put them down when I realize that that's not going to work it's an art not a science okay our next question is from Catherine R. Slack and she asks how do you fit everything into your day running exercising reading kids husband feeding everyone etc what is a typical day like in the life of Ann Bogle <laughs> oh, that's hard because it's summer right now. And I feel like we're all very atypical. I'm on a different schedule. Um, my kids are on a different schedule. My husband's even on a different schedule. How do I fit it all in? I don't feel like I always do it gracefully. Like I worked out this morning and then I kept my workout clothes on until noon, which wasn't my intention, but that is often what happens. Um, so I can have good hair or a workout, but not both. A typical day, I get up really early and 
go to my computer right away. I'm trying to work out more these days. It's actually working. I don't want to jinx anything. And then usually when my kids are settled doing whatever they're doing and 75% of the year at that school, I blitz through my work. So I pay a lot of attention to my energy throughout the day, not just my time. So I do deep thinking stuff in the morning, email and more task management in the afternoon, try to wrap it up in the early afternoon. And then the only work I do in the evenings is read. So we are a family dinner family, except until recently, we are mostly a ball game during dinner family or sporting event during dinner that will continue to be a real thing. And I go to bed early because I like to wake up early and I can't have both. Darn it. Uh, this next question is from Holly. How do you listen to audiobooks with your kids around? Do you use headphones or just let it fly? That's my biggest problem with audiobooks. I want to enjoy more of them, but I'm so afraid that I'll be doing dishes and something horrible will happen or some terrible string of perverts language will come belting out and one of my in innocent kids will hear it or worse, repeat it. Oh, that's a real thing. And just when I think like, oh, this podcast couldn't possibly be not safe for little ears and I unmute it or I take out the headphones, that's when something lets fly. I don't have a brilliant solution. I don't usually listen to either when my kids are around, unless it's something I think they'll be interested in. Like my son and I just listened to an interview with John Grisham at the kitchen counter while we were making dinner the other night on purpose so that we could both listen to it. Um, but otherwise I listen to audiobooks um, when I run and when I walk the dog or when I'm driving in the car by myself. And unless I'm clearly like blitzing the house cleaning, I don't like to have headphones on when people are around unless I'm clearly like on a conference call or something like that. So that's just not, not my rhythm. What I, I'm curious now, what, um, what are you usually doing when you are listening to audiobooks by yourself? Usually exercising. Oh, okay. Walking the dog, folding laundry. Oh, I get way too much audiobook listening folding laundry, assuming I'm even folding it. And as opposed to letting it pile up in the hamper and, you know, wrinkled mass or driving by myself. Does the content of the book change? Like, like, would you gravitate to a different book while you're running than you would when you're just folding laundry? You know, maybe I would if I was getting ready to start an audiobook, but I only ever listen to one at a time. Unlike my paper and ebooks, I can have seven of those going on at once and it's fine with me, but I only do one audiobook at a time. And so it's just whatever I'm in the middle of, that's what I'm listening to. So I think some take longer than others because I may not feel up for listening to something slow and serious while I am running, but there's just one. Okay. Our next question is from Susie. Is there a book or books that were life changing for you? And if so, why? I know this is hugely personal, but I'm always so curious as to what influences people. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That is, I can't think of one that doesn't put me in mind of like a scene in a therapist's office, like talking about my feelings. And that is Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. It was a signed reading for, I think a freshman seminar I did in college, which was writers on writing. She won the Pulitzer for this, which I don't even know if I knew at the time, although it could have been stamped on the cover. Maybe I just didn't know what it meant when I was 18. That seems like a real possibility. But when I read it for the first time, I just never read anything like it before. I didn't, I thought the genres were fiction and non, and maybe a little bit of advice. I just didn't understand all the wildly different 
ways authors could create different things with the written word. So Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, and I know we've talked about it on the podcast, it's her reflections on the changing seasons near her home in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. And there's a lot going on in the book. And we had to read it a few times and I kept discovering more in the nonfiction text every time I read it. And I started to see arcs and patterns and themes. And I just, I didn't know you could do it with that kind of book. So I think it just really expanded my literary horizons. And also it's still just the way she talks about nature. That sounds so lame and boring, but it it wasn't to me at the time, although I haven't loved it as much on rereadings as I, as I did when I was in college and in my early twenties, but it did change the way I think about things. And even she just has a couple one-liners that I think about often like at cocktail parties, like, why do we think the weather is polite conversation? It's anything but polite. And then she goes on to describe the crazy things nature can do in her home in Virginia. So how's that Brenna? I think it sounds great. I think that's often the case with books that change our lives that sometimes they don't hold up to a reread, but they really mattered at the time. I hate to say that about Annie Dillard, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way about Pilgrim. Pilgrim, which makes me think of the Terry Hayes novel. Could any books be more completely different? Are you ever afraid to reread a book because you're afraid you won't love it as much the second time? Yes, definitely. Especially if I remember it being really good and I have all the warm, fuzzy feelings about it. I, I'd like it to live forever in my heart like that. Yeah, I have that fear a lot. <laughs> I'm glad other people do too. All right. The next question is from Ashley. You often ask podcast guests, which book really turned them into readers? The first book they remembered loving and not wanting to put down. Which book was it for you? Oh, I have two answers to this. The first is the babysitter's club, anything because because I grew up with the Babysitter's Club. Did anybody your age read the Babysitter's Club, Brenna? Yes, they did. They did. I didn't. But See, I was waiting for books like 40, 41, 42 to come out. And you all were probably waiting for like 140. <laughs> if there are even that many. I'm not sure. So what was the other? What was the other book? The other is a real book. So the Babysitter's Club, I think, got me hooked on the habit of reading. But Emily of New Moon is the book that made me stay up late under the covers with a flashlight at 2 a.m. because I just feel like that went a little deeper than Logan Likes Marianne, you know? <laughs> just a touch. Just a touch. But that really made me see like, oh, this is what you can do with a good story. I feel like more people need to read the Emily books. They're under underrated. Underrated. I read the, all the Emily books um, and didn't read the Ant books. Am I going to get fired now? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last question is from Instagram. Real XOXO Lib asks, I have a long TBR list, but I still can't help myself from picking up random impulse books at the store or the library. What is it about a book that draws you to it that you just have to pick it up and take it home without knowing much about it? Okay. So it sounds that Real XOXO Lib doesn't feel awesome about this and wants me to validate her choice. I can totally do that. So this happens to me too. I mean, I have a super long TBR list and plenty of unread books at home. Oh my gosh, Brenna, you'll probably get this. So somebody posted, shared, told me something like, I have 20 unread books at home. So why did I buy another one at the library? And my takeaway was only like 20? 
Because you don't have enough yet. That's why. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm a sucker for the personal recommendation, whether it's a really well-written shelf talker, which is one of those little index cards taped to the shelf at the bookstore that says, employee Mary says, this book will change your life, like buy it today. Or if I'll see a book that I've heard a friend talking about, and I am also drawn in by a good cover, but usually in combination. So if I've heard about a book and then I go to the bookstore and I see in person that like, it's a really beautiful cover and I would have seen the cover, but you know, like a hardcover can be embossed and sparkly and all the things. And so if it's that combination of, I hear something great and then I see it and it's beautiful, that is likely to, to make me take it home with me. But if she's looking for impulse control, I'm not sure I can help. And that is a wrap on our first ask and anything. How did it feel? It felt okay. Not too scary. <laughs> Brenna, thanks so much for coming back on, and we will hear from you again soon, I'm sure. Anytime. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed today's special episode. Head to the podcast site to let us know what you thought of our first mailbag episode. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 89, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, we'll be back next week with a regular episode. I'll be talking to a guest I met for the first time in my very own living room. And when she told me there was a whole category of books she hated, I knew I wanted to talk to her on the show. That's coming next Tuesday. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.